0: When I was in first grade, I thought we were Jewish. Somewhere around second grade, I found out we weren't Jewish, and then I was mad because I wanted to be Jewish. And the reason for that is because of this book right here. This was the picture Bible that my grandma got me for, uh, I think, Easter of my first grade year, just learning to read. And uh, it's a pretty thick book, but that's okay. It's all in comic book. It's amazing. This, This was probably the greatest gift I ever got growing up. Uh, I read it constantly. Um, I tried to add um, Bible marker tabs, but that's what happens when you're six or seven trying to do that. It doesn't help that, like, there's not, like, the wisdom books in there. There's, like, little brief references. Like, literally, I have tabs on the top and the bottom trying to make them all fit. Um, As I got older... Uh, and I found my grandpa's Bible, because we used to go over to grandpa's house after brunch on Sunday mornings. He had an old Douay-Rim's Bible, which still had the old like Greek names for the, bu- the books. So I went through, and you'll see that all the names are scribbled out and changed in here. So, like, <laughs> literally, literally every single time it mentions, like, instead of Joshua, it says Josue. And instead of Elijah, it says Elias every single time. Um, and this... You know, it's kind of funny because it's a great example of just the weird things kids do. But to this day, when I think of St. Paul, he looks like St. Paul in here. He wears yellow and blue and has a little thin beard and no hair on top. When I think of St. Peter, he's in purple and black, striped, and has a big curly brown beard. Everyone looks exactly like that. And when I got to the seminary, um, I was the best student in theology in Scripture. Not because I had studied, not because I had been in focused Bible studies like some of the uh, guys who had gone to the university, but simply because in fourth grade, I knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. It's weird. Like, most Catholics like, I know nothing about the Old Testament. But to a seven-year-old boy, when you realize the Old Testament is all, like, killing and stabbing and stuff, it's a fascinating story, and you get into it. And I actually, as a kid, knew the Old Testament better than the New Testament, which is like the exact opposite of almost every Christian on the planet. Um, and so, like I said, I was disappointed to find out we weren't Jewish when I was seven. And then I got somewhere in, in the seminary and found out that I was. That I had been brought into Abraham's family through baptism. And that, that oftentimes get, gets lost in our explaining of what happens. But there is only one family of God. And it is the family called by, in Abraham eventually his heir Jesus the Messiah allows others to come into the Messiah's new Israel the the family but there's still just one family there is one family of God and as Pope Pius XII said we are all spiritual Semites so I was excited to find that out that it all turned out okay but the reason why I bring this up and it now has a successor some of you might have seen it the action bible it's literally the exact same text word for word the exact same text um but it's now done in kind of a oh what would you call it is it I was getting messed. is it manga is that like the the japanimation kind of thing um so it's it, it same glorious text same beautiful pictures now in even more robust form and uh and i give these out to uh the first graders when i was in donovan now that i'm in wahoo i can't afford it but um it's just too big of a parish um uh, but i'd like the parish to do it someday but it's it's the the, the reason why I give them out is for the same thing like I want people to know the story because the story if you take it as a story is amazing and that was what that did for me is it made it a story and and that makes all the difference when the Bible is just a pile of books you miss out on on that story and and it has no chance to excite you Um, I was talking to a friend this is Gosh, I was still in the seminary, and that week had been the transfiguration on Sunday, and he said, okay, honestly, why do I need to know about the transfiguration? Like, why do I, as a Catholic layman, I read my Bible, I do my prayers, I go to Mass daily, but why do I need to, why do I care about Moses and Elijah? Like, why do they matter to me? And I realized, that's hard to explain. Like, I know, and I think it's cool, because I know the story, but he, as your classic, you know, at that time he was probably a 50-something-year-old Catholic, it, hadn't, it didn't hit him, because the rest of the story, until Jesus, was seen as pretty pointless. There was nothing else to, to get out of that, uh, other than, like, yeah, I guess the prophets must have predicted him coming, and, you know, sure, it's important, because, you know, like, there's some stuff with Moses about lambs and being saved and stuff like that. But other than that, like, what's the point? In a sense, he had the gospel without the gospels and their antecedent, the, the whole rest of the story of the people. And that's why you see the, the hard work of people like Jeff Cavins with his uh, Great Adventure Bible Timeline, or of Scott Hahn with his uh, book, A Father Keeps His Promises. Those guys have worked together and worked very hard to help people to appreciate you know, that there is this question of the people of God. Um, and to help us, you know, see, you've probably seen it before, you know, in the beginning you, know, you have um, you know, a holy couple and they've got one mediator, Adam. They aren't able to do what they're supposed to do, so then you move down the line and you got Noah, who's got a holy family, eight people in all saved in the ark, and Noah's the mediator, right? And then you go to Abraham, a holy tribe, right? But even, at, even Abraham, for being probably the best guy of the Old Testament, still has his flaws. And then you go to Moses with the holy nation, and you go to David with the holy kingdom, and the goal is to eventually get to you know, um, uh, Jesus with now a, a worldwide universal church and he is the ultimate mediator. Uh, and, and that's great to help us, you know, kind of see the whole picture. And that's why people, you know, get into it. Cavens does a great job of helping people realize, don't just start to read your Bible front to cover, front cover to back cover. That is the one problem with the one year Bible is, you know, we all do it like Genesis. I know these stories. Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, gotcha. Exodus. Yeah. Sheep getting slaughtered, blood, Red Sea, yeah, Leviticus gets weird, <laughs> weird rules, stuff you never thought about don 't sleep with a goat, okay, um, you know what to do when you get a skin rash, okay, you know like like, and people get lost you know, and then especially if you hit, like, the wisdom literature and and the prophets, people really lose it, because it's just not interesting, because it's not a story. It's the reason why the little things on my Bible have to go around the edges, because they tell the story. So that's why Cavens has his famous 14 books, and I'll, I'll give you those later. It's no point in doing them now, but, you know, you skip. You go, Genesis, Exodus, skip to Numbers. Then you skip to Judges, or Joshua. Then Judges. Then you skip to the Samuel books, and the King books, and the exile books moving you along through just the story and you actually read that as quick as you can and then come back and read it again a little bit slower and then you actually read it a third time then plugging in the other books so when you're reading David that's the time to read the Psalms and stuff like that but he's he's helping us to do that the one critique that I think N.T. Wright, the guy I mentioned earlier, the, the Protestant Bishop of Durham makes, on, on you know, not on cavens and Hans specifically, but in general, even when we get that story, we still kind of read it as, God made the human race. The human race fell in Adam. Then they all got scattered at Babel. And then blah, 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 stuff in between. Yes, there's a family. And then Jesus dies so the whole human race can be saved again. But as I mentioned, that's not the story. The story is that God chose a people and that people had a special job, right? That the, the job of those people was to try to be the stewards in the world after Adam and Eve failed to be the proper stewards. That their job was actually to be the example of holiness in the world and they were literally to be the cause of the pagan nations seeing God and worshiping God through that. And that was, that was part of their job. But of course, the problem of sin is that even Israel as that people fail. Even they fall in. I mean, they do idolatry too. They don't do justice. They fail in many sort of ways. And so you have this interesting shift at a certain point when they kind of realize, we're never going to get there. Like, we're never going to get there, uh, you know, even with David. I mean, sure, David's amazing, but David's an adulterer and a murderer to hide his adultery, right? You know, David kind of stinks, but he's also a man after God's own heart, which shows that even the best guy in the Old Testament still can't do it, but usually we just end like, ah, so you need a God man to come and save you. You do, but that's not how the Bible tells the story. As the story progresses, as you as you reach the, the the time of of the prophets, they still see that the job of Israel is to be a light to the nations. Isaiah forty. That idea of the servant who pops up four times in those fifteen chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah forty to fifty five. That servant is interesting because it's like, is the servant Israel or is it a single person? And we'll talk more about this later, but the, the, the thing is that, like, the story presumes that Israel will be that light, that Israel will be the one who can change things for the people, but you always get this, it keeps on getting smaller. As the family of God gets bigger, right, couple, tribe, nation— the people who are actually getting it right are getting smaller. We're told in Isaiah that a remnant will remain, that only a small group will make it. And so as that remnant, you know, continues, it gets smaller. It's those who aren't carried off in, in, um, by Assyria. And then it's those who still worship God. And then it's those who are faithful to the Sabbath. And they get smaller and smaller and smaller until by the time you get to Isaiah 53, it looks like just one can do that job. Just one will have to carry not just the burden of sins, but all the expectation. One who he will be the light to the world. So when he asks the question of, is the servant the nation of Israel or is it just one? The answer is yes, because the nation is, in a sense, shrinking even as it's growing. And I'm going to come back to this idea of the exile in another talk, but it leaves us with a sense of the story is more complex than just, yep, straight line all the way through. And really appreciate those Jewish roots. Jesus is Israel in that final moment on the cross. He is the promise God made to Abraham, and he is the whole family right there. He's the only one who can do it, but then once he does it, then if you enter in the Messiah's family, then you're part of the people of God. And thank God for us, because I assume most of the people in this room are some version of, like, Northern European by heritage, right, and, and not anything other than Gentiles. Thank God for us, we can be brought into the family through baptism. So the story does wrap up in, in a beautiful way. So um, I'm just going to uh, leave it at that. I'll, I'll pick up other of these strands. I know keep leaving random strands out there for you to ponder on, but that's part of the idea. But uh, today I'll just say this one thing about the gospel. It's important to think about the prodigal son. We always assume that the prodigal son is us, right? I'm the bad kid who has to return. I go to confession. And then as you read a little bit more deeply, then you start to think, you know, well, maybe I'm the kid out in the yard who's mad that my brother's getting forgiven. Sometimes we have to do that. But also consider that the people of Israel, when they heard this, they might have also recognized in that son themselves as a nation that they had been in a far-off country. They had been in exile. They had been among the pagans, and they, you know, desired, they longed to get back. So when Jesus tells this story about coming back, they would have also heard it answering something deep in their hearts. And yes, it is about forgiveness of sins, but they would have heard forgiveness of sins as being coming back in the family. We hear the flip, Right? we hear coming back in the family as forgiveness of sins, they would have heard the opposite. The goal is to be in the family. The goal is to be part of the story. The goal is to be that that child of God from the get-go. We might have struggled on that, but the goal is to get back into that spot, and that's what Christianity does. It doesn't just heal the problem in the Jewish family. It lets the Jewish family invite us in and heal all of us as well.